Good morning. Thank you, worship team. It's so great uh, for you guys helping lead us in song and in worship, as you guys always do. We have a, such a great team up here, so thank you for all your efforts. We are continuing our series, walking through First and Second Thessalonians. We're in Second Thessalonians now, and so we will be in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses thirteen through seventeen. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there and get ready, you may. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry because it'll be on the screen behind me. Dive into God's Word. Let's go to Him in prayer. Therefore, I thank you so much for this time when we can gather as your people, when we can sit under your word, when we can know and hear the truth of who you are, the truth of your love, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the great salvation that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray for this time as we read these words, as we see not only how, what they were meant for the church in Thessalonica, but also for us, that we can know your love in a new way. We can know your your great salvation that we have afresh. Lord, I just pray for this time that you teach us what we need to be taught. You grow us in the ways in which we need to grow. You move us in those ways in which we are called to live for you, that we may be your people in all that we do. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You just have to open up your news app and you see so many different events, whether it's the war in Ukraine, the war in Israel, Child trafficking, shootings are happening seemingly everywhere, violent crimes seemingly everywhere, protests, social norms fastly changing, inflation, and we could go on and on, and there's no question we live in turbulent times. I mean, just even listing to that list might even make, cause some anxiety for us, but we will. And when we look around, we have to wonder, which, what should we be looking for stability? Where should we be looking for some place to stand? And I love how we come upon in 2 Thessalonians this passage about how we can stand firm in the gospel because it is relevant for us today. It was relevant for them back then as they were undergoing persecution, as they were undergoing even riots against the faith, they were told to stand firm in that faith. And so when we look upon this world, it seems to be fastly moving out of control. We're called again to look upon the truth of who God is and stand firm in who he has called us to be, who he has called us to be, and the truth of who he is. So let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Paul is continuing, he's talking through, he just talks about the, the coming judgment and the coming, uh, the coming judgment that's coming, and so now he goes on, he does a different angle, and he says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you, through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. 
What are we supposed to take from this? How can we maybe boil this down into what we should take home? And I just would offer this, that we're called to stand firm in the calling of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. He's talking to them. He says, hey, the gospel has called you from where you are to who you're supposed to be in Christ, and now you stand firm in that. You let nothing move you from what he's called you to. And when you think about the great gospel, the good news about how Jesus was sent to live for us, the life we could not live, righteous before the Father, how he went to the cross to die for us, a death that we deserved, where he took our sins upon himself, how he rose from the grave, showing how he was God, and also showing us the new life that we have in him. If you think that glorious gospel actually calls us to something, it calls us from darkness, but it also calls us to light. It calls us from sin, but it calls us to righteousness. It calls us from being slaves to sin, from now being servants of the most. It calls us to life as we live for God, this new life he's given us. It calls us from the old way in which we operate to a new way in which we live for Christ. It calls us from being sinners, rebels, Spitting in God's face to now being his saints, beloved by him. That's the glorious gospel that we know through the Bible, through the word of God, through Jesus Christ. That we're called out of our former way of life, but we're called to a new way in which we relate to God, to others, to ourselves. And Paul is saying, remember that calling and stand firm in it. Stand firm in the calling of the gospel. I love how Paul starts this section where he starts by just giving thanks for these Christians, giving thanks for the gospel itself and what it means for them. He, he, he's particularly praying for these Christians in Thessalonica and thanking God for them, saying, we should always thank God for you because you know the truth. You are part of our family now. Just like we were praying for Christians we don't know across the globe. Just a little moment ago, Paul was praying for Christians he didn't know because he knows their situations and he says, you are part of our family and we give thanks for you. But he also is praying thanks for how the gospel has been in their lives. And we just look. We can even read how he describes them and we see the effect the gospel has. The great wonders the gospel brings to our life. <clears throat> that he talks about how now we belong to God. He calls them brothers or brothers and sisters. He looks upon these people and says, you are now my family. We belong together. We have been brought into the family of God. We belong to him now. You, right with me, shoulder to shoulder, we're family and we love each other. Why? Because you have believed in the gospel, you believe in Jesus Christ, and so now you belong to God. It's funny, I was picking up my, my niece uh, this week along with my, my other kids from our, the elementary school, and, and my niece was giving me some attitude. She likes to give me attitude. But then she says, well, I'll stop if you can tell me what today is. And I'm not that great of an uncle, so I didn't automatically know what that day she was referring to, but I heard someone mention it before, so I said, oh, it's your adoption day, right? Because she was adopted by my brother and sister-in-law. And so it was, I was like, yeah. And so she was like, actually surprised I remembered, but I was reminded I'm not that great. But 
So she stopped giving me grief. She stopped giving me little things. But when we let her off at a school, what does that mean? And so I was talking to her. But then, because I'm a pastor, I have to take it to a little little Jesus turn. And I say, but the great thing about it is that we love Lily with all of our hearts. She's part of our family. She's one of us. But that's what God does with us when we believe in Jesus Christ. That we've been adopted into his family. It's a great thing that we're all adopted. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God through Christ. They weren't that excited about that aspect, but we should be. That when we remember this great thing that we belong to God's family is good and it's right. That when we think about our brothers and sisters in the Lord across this globe, it's true. This is not just a label we put on it. This is not just church talk about being brothers and sisters. This is the truth. We're related. We're related by blood, you could even say, by the blood of Jesus Christ. It knits us together into God's family, and it's a great part of the gospel. We belong to God. We're not just belonging to God. We're beloved by God. Paul says this, brothers, beloved by the Lord, that he actually likes us, us. I love how in 1 John, in the NIV translations, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about, in this, God lavished his love upon us, that we are children of God. I love that idea that this is the gospel is him lavishing his love upon us. We are the beloved of God because of Christ. But we're not just belonging to God, and we're not just beloved by God, we're chosen by God. It says, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. God has chosen them. He's talking to the, the, the church in Thessalonica, these Thessalonians, and so he's probably referring that they were the first church in that area, the first fruits, the first kind of people who come to faith, and God has chosen them to be that pioneering church. But the truth is, this is how God saves us, that he chooses us. That he looks upon us, and he does not see the mess we have made with our life, but he sees who he wants us to be, and he saves us in spite of ourselves. He chooses us to be his. That you have been picked by him. We can say that with confidence, that if you believe in who Jesus Christ is, you have been picked by God. When you think about all these facts of the glorious gospel, is it any wonder that Paul starts by giving thanks for it? Thank you, God, for this truth of how you formed your church. Thank you, God, for loving when we were sinners. Thank you, God, for not choosing how well us out of, of how well we can be, but choosing us for something that we don't know, but only you can see. Thank you, God. And we thank God for this great and glorious gospel that he has now called us through to live for him. But that's Paul's next argument. After thanking God for this great gospel and thanking God for these Christians who have come to know him through that gospel, he says we have been called actually through that gospel to God. That the gospel, this good news, is not just 
uh, what saves us, the power saves us, as Romans 1 says, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel before us, is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. The, the gospel saves us, but it's actually the means in which we're saved. It's the means in which we hear, because we have to hear the good news of what Christ has done. We have to hear the proclamation of how he has saved us, and we have to know this truth. And so the gospel is how God saves his people. The good news goes, Good news goes forward to know him, to be with him, to love him and serve him. We're called through that gospel. That gospel works in great ways. We're not just called through the gospel. We're actually called by the sanctification by the Spirit, he says. That through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, that we're called to live this new life. We're called by sanctification by the Spirit. The fancy theological term would be regeneration, that when God calls you, he doesn't leave you where he is, he actually puts a new life in you, and you're no longer where you were, you're brought out of darkness into life, and that includes a new person being formed in you. He regenerates you from the inside out, that he makes you new, and the Spirit does this. It does this, it makes us new, it makes us one of God's. Paul would later say in Titus Chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but, because, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That we are saved and changed by the sanctification of the Spirit. That God is not content to leave us where he found us, but he brings and changes us into his people into one of working us, not through works of our own righteousness. God is doing this in us, but it also includes us believing in the truth. So right there, we see how God works in us. The Spirit has changed us, not based on how well we can do or how well we can achieve. God is doing that part, but it's based on us responding to him because we believe in the truth as we have been made new. We believe in who Christ is. We believe Christ is the truth. We believe he is the way. We believe he is the savior that we're looking for, that we need, for we cannot save ourselves. Stand firm in the calling of the gospel. We've been called to God through the gospel. We've been sanctified by his spirit. We believe in the truth, and now we stand firm in this, all for this great and glorious purpose, as he says, when he says, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about how God is at work. He's talking about how we believe in the truth. And he's saying, stand firm in this. Why? Because we can see the end. And then what is the end? The end is the glory of Jesus Christ. Is that we actually are going to be transformed bit by bit. The Spirit is at work transforming us, renewing us bit by bit from the inside out. Sometimes we long that he would be a little faster in his work, but he's at work. And as the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love how Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says, And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That when we behold the glory of Jesus Christ, when we see who he is, we are being transformed from one degree of glory 
to another, that we see what our end is and what is our end, what God has said he's going to do, that we actually are going to become conformed to the image of his son. And he's doing that, working at one degree to another. And then when he finally returns or when we're called home, he'll finish that work because we'll see with unveiled faces and we'll be transformed to who we're called to be, the glorified followers of Jesus Christ how we were meant to be free from sin, free from rebellion, free from the hardships of this life as we're called to glory, God's glory. So we, call, we stand firm in the calling of the gospel because we know this is truth. If this is what the gospel has called us to do, to believe these things, we don't move away from it. So then, brothers, if this is true, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. I love this because after this great and glorious statement about how God is at work, how God is going to glorify you, how God is going to make you whole, how he sanctified you by his spirit, all these great things, you'd almost expect him to say, sit back, relax, take it easy, put your feet up. God's got it. But what does he say instead? Stand firm. Hold to. These are terms of there's a storm coming. Brace yourself. And it makes sense when you know the truth of the gospel is that when you know the truth of the gospel, you are no longer of this world. As Jesus says, you, you might be in this world. We might be operating with people in darkness day to day as we go about work and as we go about our life, but we're no longer fundamentally of this world. And because we're no, no longer fundamentally of this world, there will be friction, there will be opposition, there will be things that push against us, there will be ties to society, there will be social norms that are changing that are trying to force us to give in, force us to go along, force us to be like the rest of the world. And when in response to that, Paul says, stand firm. Hold fast to that we are like it. The system of thought opposed to our Lord wants us to give in, take our eyes off of Christ, and be just like everyone else and go with the flow. When Paul is writing this, you have to imagine these are Christians who, when they started preaching the gospel, a riot broke out. So much so that they had to get Paul and Timothy and, and Silas out of town. They had to get them out because a riot broke out of people wanting to kill them. How the leader now of the, the first little church in Thessalonica was pulled in front of the authorities, left holding the bag. And now Paul is writing back to this church that probably has not, this, this turbulent society has not died down. People still want this church out of the city. And he's writing to me and says, stand firm. When you feel that pressure, when you have neighbors who want you to deconvert, when you are feeling that pressure from society saying, go back to Judaism, Go back to where you were from or to those people called from the Gentiles. Go back to paganism. Paul says, you stand firm and you hold fast to the apostles' teaching. What you heard from us, whether in word or by letter, the apostles' teaching, the truth of the gospel, what they delivered to them. Us. That when we feel that push, 
when we feel that pressure, that tension, when we feel people arguing with what we believe or, or, or kind of pushing us to kind of give in, we're called to stand firm and hold to the truth of who God is. I love these, these, these imageries of staying firm and holding to or holding fast to. Staying firm, you know, I, I, I love going to the beach and one of my favorite things is when you just stand in the waves and you let the waves kind of push you and hit you and you just get tossed around. You know, it's, it's amazing the power of this wave hitting you. And even if you try to stand firm, the, the sand belief your feet quickly is just eroded away from your feet. And when, so when Paul is talking about staying firm, he's talking about you need stable footing. You have to stand firm on something that's truly firm. No matter how well you can stand firm on sand, guess what? It arose away. So he's saying, hey, you know the truth. This is build the stability of the gospel. The bedrock of truth it is. Stand firm on that, and guess what? Nothing will move you. Nothing can change you, push you back when you stand firm firm on the truth of Christ. But not only that, we hold fast to the apostles' teaching. So we hold fast, we grab it, and we hold to it. We need an anchor, something to We have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, something we can grab onto and we won't be moved because we're holding fast to it. And what is that anchor? That Jesus Christ has saved us, that he is the great high priest that we need. So we stand firm, we hold fast. What we hold to matters. When I was a kid, I loved to run around in the woods, and sometimes we would find big vines and try to swing around them like Tarzan, right? What you hold to matters. Some of those vines aren't that sturdy. And so you learn really quick to test what you're holding to. And the same thing is true when we come to the gospel. What we hold to matters. When we know it's the truth of the universe, when we know it's given to us by God through his word, and we know it will never disappoint us, it will never leave us dry, it will never abandon us, it will never leave us, we hold firm to this teaching, the truth of who Christ is. And it can get us through any turbulent storm, any situation as we know the truth and hold to it. Probably kind of loses. So, what do we hold on to? Back then, it would be what the, the apostles' teachings, what the apostles delivered directly to this church, whether in letter or by verbal form. What do we hold on to? The very word of God. We believe hearts, and then we hold fast to it. We stand firm on it. That means when we live our life, we filter decisions, we filter life through the word of God, that we let it determine how we live. We let it determine how we respond to situations. We let it determine who we are. We actually stand fast on it, and we hold to it, and we are not moved from it. Stand firm and the calling of the gospel. This is what the gospel has called for us, and now we stand firm in it. But it's not us and just how hard we can hold on to or how hard we can stand. It's not us and our power that we're trusting. Just right from what we hear so far, we might think that. We might think, well, well, he, Paul is just saying, hold on a little tighter. Stand a little harder. How oh, you can do that? I don't know how you do that. But don't be moved. Just do it. We'll have the power to do it, right? 
But that's not what Paul's saying, and I love it. We know it's not what Paul's saying because how he ends by focusing us back on what God has already done for us and what God is going to continue to do for us. That we trust in him. In verse 16, I would argue, we see what God has already done for us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through the grace, done for us. He loves us. He cherishes us. He, he has given us eternal comfort that we know where we will be for eternity. A comfort that's, that far surpasses any temporary comfort right now. We have this comfort we can look to that we have right now. It's not just a future hope, it's a present hope that continues into the future. We know he has us. We know he won't abandon us. And he's given us a good hope through grace. This great fact that's not on us. We have this good hope, and we expect it to be. We have this confidence built on grace that he has done it. He has saved us. It's not about how well we do it. It's God has already done all of this. And then in verse 17, we see what God will continue to do for us. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. That presently, what is God doing? He is comforting our hearts with the truth. That when we hear the lies of the deceiver, when we hear the ways of the world that seem enticing, what does God do? He comforts us by preaching the gospel again to us. That we hear the truth of who God is and we're comforted because we know the truth. We know his love. And then we know that he establishes us, works the good works, and the good word. He called us to live for him, and so we know he continually works in us to do what he's called us to do. We trust God. So we stand firm in the calling of the gospel. Trusting God is at work in our lives. So we ask, what about us then? We see how this is true for them, and we see how it has been true for us, but what what should we take from this? How should we apply this for our lives? And I would just argue these two things, which is this. What are you standing on and what do you hold to? What is your foundation? When the world gets tough, when the wind starts blowing, when you face hardships, when things just don't go your way, what do you grab on and don't let go of? Paul says, God says, the word of God says this, that we hold on to him, and we know him through his word. So we hold on to the word of God, and we trust the promises that are said in there are true and for us, and we grab onto it, and we don't let go. It will not fail us. So many other things in this world that we want to grab onto or say, grab onto me and trust in me, will eventually let us down, but God will not. So each, what are we standing on? What do we hold to? Are we going to hold to the word of God even when it gets very, very unfashionable in our world? Where name calling turns into persecution or persecution you know, turns into the secret church or whatever might happen in the future, are we going to stand on and hold to what God says is true no matter And then in all these things, trust in God to be at work. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, you trust God to be at work, to give you the energy, to give you the power, to give you the willpower to stand fast and to hold on to the truth of who God is. You trust God to continue to remind you of the gospel, to continue to work at you so that you can do what he's called you to do. And then I would argue you place yourself in those situations where you know you are going to be in where God wants you to be working in you, which is in his community, that you come into the community knowing that God uses one another, us together as his church to work in each other, to, to spur one another up, to, to prop one another up when we're kind of stumbling, to be there for each other. And he uses his word, and so we grab onto that, trusting God is going to work through his word and stand firm in the calling of the gospel. And trust that God is at work. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can read it, we can know it, we can respond to it. Lord, we thank you for the glorious gospel that you make clear to us again and again through your word. That we can know it, it can comfort us, the salvation that we have Christ. But then we can respond to what it calls us to, which is to live for you to live our life for you, pleasing for you, to live for you, responding to the gospel with all of who we are, to do the good works you've called us to, to spread the good word of the, of the gospel to all who need to hear. So Lord, we thank you for this glorious truth and we pray that we can be a church that stands on it and is not moved from it. That we stand firm and we hold fast to your word, to your truth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.